So, a lot of heavy stuff happening in the world. Mm -hmm. And we'll get to... We'll discuss all that really meaningfully uh, coming up. But the first thing I wanted to do was commend DeMarcus Cousins, the greatest Twitter assassin of our day and age. Yeah. I... That was... That was amazing, because... Like I saw the tweet. I like I follow him on Twitter, so I saw it when he originally sent it, and I was like, "Why is he asking this dude?" I'm like, "I'm pretty sure this is an old white guy." And then you see the reaction. And you're like, "Oh, he was trying to get him to show his ass, and he knew that he would." And yeah, so yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy. Have you seen all the replies that he got? Like, yep, knew that was coming from like yeah, former. Yeah, yeah, I saw Chris Weber said something. Yeah, so I mean it. It's fairly well known, and it's kind of an interesting dynamic when you think about how many people in and around the NBA probably have viewpoints that are very similar to Grant Napier. Yeah. Um, and NBA players know this. Like that's, I think that's kind of an interesting dynamic that you don't ever really hear talked about because it is kind of awkward. Yeah. How happy are you that Spencer Hawes is out of the league? Dude, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that dude sucked anyways. But I can't imagine if he were still in the public eye what his situation, what he would be saying right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, for those who don't know what we're talking about, um, DeMarcus Cousins um, tweeted at a um, Sacramento local like he was like the color commentator and like had a radio show on local radio for the kings um a guy named grant napier and um it uh he just asked him hey what do you think about uh blm and this is a guy who by the way a few years ago had um when the kings traded boogie for buddy um had talked about how um, DeMarcus's presence on the team was like a dark cloud. You know, yeah. like, the, like the general crap that Boogie got his whole time in Sacramento about being overly emotional, about being a whiner, you know, about being lazy. All of, the, all of that very coded language um, that was used to blame a bad franchise's um, woes on its best player. Right. Um, yeah, literally the best player they've had since Chris Webber. Yeah. And he was the reason why they couldn't have a competent team. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah. Um, um, so he, he tweets at this guy. He says, you know, what do you think about uh, the Black Lives Matter movement? And for reasons passing understanding, this guy says, ah, some bait. Allow me to eat that. Yeah, um, right. He tweets, hey, buddy, long time no see. I think all lives matter. And he got fired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> he pretty got much fired from both jobs. <laughs> right. Yeah, just. Oh man. I mean, very, very quick and efficient work by Demarcus. You know, he knew exactly how to attack him, and it worked. He finally got his revenge after this asshole had tried to kind of defame him in the Sacramento area, but. Um, yeah, so do we do we want to talk seriously? I mean, to preface this, we are both fully aware that we 
are it is it, in a way it is really important for us to talk about this because we are white people. Yeah, but we uh, are both white people, and we host yeah. this podcast with two other white people. So right. like this, like prefacing, like we're gonna talk about this because it's important for white people to talk about this too. But like we're not leaders in these conversations. You shouldn't yeah. look at what we're saying like we're leaders in these conversations. You should find black people and listen to what they have to say. If right. you're not following black sports writers, change that. Um, right. At the very least, follow Bomani Jones. Um, of course. Um, and just go listen from there. Listen to his podcast. You should listen to his podcast. He's great. Um, you could follow Richard Johnson, formerly of SB Nation. Is it? Did he get? Did he get furloughed? I forget. I believe he did, yes. Right. You should follow Richard Johnson. You can follow Zito Madu, also of SB Nation. Um, that's, like, there's three examples. Follow them. Find their mutuals that they engage in conversations about sports and politics on, on Twitter. Follow them. Like, if you, if these, if this is, you're looking to understand the perspective of African Americans as their community is repeatedly murdered in uh state violence then that is a good way to see how that intersects with sports and more broadly with the rest of life um so yeah let's let's talk about (laughs) what's been happening in the world yeah you want to go ahead and start yeah so following the murder by police of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Tony McDade. Um, there has been <laughs> in the past few weeks, um, a, a rise in a nation, essentially a nationwide protest, right? Yeah. Of police violence against black people in this country. Um, this is, of note on a sports podcast because I don't know, well, you know why it's of note on a sports podcast. It's because all of your favorite athletes are black. And this is the reality that they have to live with. And mm-hmm. we're you know, as as a white person, Alex, as a white person, and I mean, I don't know the demographics of our audience, but I'm betting you're a white person. Um, this is, we are getting a glimpse into what the everyday experience of being black in America is like in this moment. And so we see these protests, we see the way black athletes are responding to this. Um, We see the way largely the largely white sphere of coaching is responding this. And it's worth taking note of disconnects and conversations and movements therein. Yeah. Can we talk about, I mean, this is kind of chiefly a an OU football podcast. That's kind of how this started out. You know, we're not really going to talk much about OU football today, but um, how have you felt about Lincoln Riley's response? Um, I thought, you know, it was, the original tweet was interesting. It seemed like he was really trying to toe the line at that point. Yeah, the the original tweet his, was extremely milk toast and also dropped at like 1 a.m. local. Right, you could tell um, he was hoping that some of the older audience was asleep. Yeah. Um, um, and, but I think n- the things that he said, you know, to the media the last few days has been largely what you would want your coach to say. Like, I mean, yeah. I think that, 
the way that his players have reacted to him and the way that the whole situation has been handled, it seems like things are being done the right way and the players believe that. Because I think that, you know, it's, it's easy to say that, oh, this college football coach has to take this stance because he would lose his team if he didn't. But I think it's also pretty obvious that if you're not genuine about that, your players are going to see right through it and they're not going to have it. Like they're, you're going to lose them even faster if you're not really genuine about what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I was initially kind of disappointed with Lincoln Riley's initial response just because like he, I know he is a person capable of speaking extremely thoughtfully about most things yeah. Um, which is a rare gift in a football coach. And so the genericness of the initial statement, I was like, this is, I mean, this is towing the line, but I know he's capable of more. And he's done more in his interview. He has crucially said the words Black Lives Matter, um, yeah. which is um, probably not something you would have expected an OU football coach to do in 2015, for instance. Right. Um, right. So like that's a that is a big step forward. Uh, to me, the most heartening thing, if I am looking to take heart in the OU football program's response to this, has been players talking about the ways in which coaches have supported them. Yeah. In this situation, um, which I think is, um, you know, coaches are obviously like community leaders in college football spaces, but. Yeah. This is like this is an issue that affects their players, and they need to be there for them, publicly and privately. So, hearing that you know coaches are reaching out to players, that like the entire coaching staff is reaching out to like every player, is a big deal. Yeah, um, we haven't had a Florida State situation arise no. where yeah. they sent out an announcement or a thing saying we've individually reached out to everybody, and it turned out that that wasn't really true mm-hmm. at the time. Which they must have had a really good meeting today. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Because Mike Norvell is not fired and somehow has his locker room back again. Yeah, no, for real. I thought he was. I thought he was cooked, man. I really yeah. did. Yeah. I was like, there's, there's no way, there's no way he's gonna come back from this. But, you know, I'm glad. I'm glad it didn't turn out to be that way for him. Like that would have been. I mean, he hasn't coached a game for them, you know. And yeah. you know, obviously. I think it was, in a sense, a little bit of a misunderstanding in terms of what he had felt he had done, which was clearly not enough, and what right. how his players perceived it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm glad that that was able to get kind of yeah kind of ironed out for them. But um, how I think one of the more problematic things that I've seen throughout this, like obviously, I mean. If you're all lives mattering this or if you're trying to both sides this, like, I just have no time for you and I do not respect you as a human being. Um, if you're yeah. trying to blue lives matter, I have zero respect for you as a person. So yeah. just, just putting uh, that yeah. out there, you know what I mean? Like, you can stop listening to the pod. I don't care. Yeah. Um, Big same. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think one of the things that, that has been kind of wild, you know, kind of throughout the entire you know, every company basically in the world feels the need to come out in some kind of support. And I think the majority of them have largely done a poor job of that. Right. And There's I know a lot that of... they're trying to balance. Yeah. But at the same time, like you have to be if you genuinely do not feel this way, it's better to not say anything, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Like 
because you're go- you're just going to wind up sounding like an idiot. And so yeah. many of these teams, like, did you see what the Dallas Mavericks did? No, I did not see what the Dallas Mavericks did. Let me watch them mishandle this. Here, I'll I'll look it up, but um, yeah, it, it was they essentially kind of like recycled a. Oh yeah, here here it is. It was one thing. It says history goes through phases, phases in restoring, rebuilding, and rebounding, and rebounding takes a team effort, and we will rebound together. That was their initial stance on this. Just did, didn't mean anything. No, uh, no. They just made the statement to yeah. say that they could make the statement. Um, there is, when you look at these corporate statements, and beyond corporate statements, like organizational statements, statements from football programs and universities, for instance, um, there's actually a really great guide on BannerSociety.com, uh, written by Ryan Nanny. And one of the key tests you can play place on these things is ask yourself absent context do you know what they're talking about right (laughs) yeah no that's a that's a really good point like are you going to be able to look back in a couple years look back at their tweet and be like oh that's what that was about yeah absolutely and so many of them it's it's not the case they don't say the word they don't say black people they don't say police they they don't say anything you know, they right, say yeah. we stand out against racial injustice or something. Right. You know they I mean? say that we should stand together in this difficult time. Right. And that's just not, it's not good enough. Um, but I don't know. I, like the NFL, like, did they have any right to say anything about this? Uh, like, honestly. Absolutely like, not. How, um, how could the San they... San Francisco 49ers certainly didn't. Yeah. Like, how can these teams, how could the, the league feel like oh yeah we're, we're gonna say something about this and when they blackballed one of the few people in america that has really gone all in on this cause you know one yeah. of the few public figures that's gone all in on this cause it cost him his job because they didn't handle the situation well and um it's it's kind of crazy i would i would just rather not see anything from, from the NFL, yeah. like from Roger well, Goodell. Because like, when you're seeing these things and they're from organizations that are very clearly not actually invested in this fight, who are not putting their money or their resources or their public policies where their mouth is on this, what you're seeing is a branding effort. And yeah. that should annoy you. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so I guess, I guess the last thing... And I, I don't know, this might be a more personal thing, but just in terms of the way I've felt the last couple weeks, like, I don't know, I've kind of been honestly over overridden with guilt more than anything. Um, and just kind of every day I'm just exhausted by the end of the day, you know? And yeah. just because I, I do feel genuinely like I have been a part of the problem throughout throughout this whole thing for throughout my entire life you know like it, it's not that you know i think that i'm not racist i don't feel that i am but i do think that i have been really compliant in a lot of the way things work you know in the way that the system operates um so i felt like kind of overridden in guilt throughout this the past couple weeks and um am trying to 
I think if we can take anything from this is to try to alleviate that, like try to, you know, make it to where you can like honestly live guilt free in this situation, like try to do what you can do to, um, to improve the situation because what we have done, this has been a problem forever and it hasn't gotten better. You know, like cops are literally like cops are out there right now. They know that everyone in the freaking world is filming them and they're still doing this stuff. Yeah. No, they yeah. don't feel like they can be touched, and it's crazy. The city of New York has suspended habeas corpus. Like, this is... The cops are the ones rioting at this point. And right. you're absolutely right in terms of the feelings of guilt. I mean, you and I have benefited from, you know, the privilege of being born into the racial class called white, Um for our entire lives frequently in ways that we couldn't understand then and probably still don't understand now it's meant to be invisible to us um but the important thing is to recognize when because feeling guilty is uncomfortable right it's and it's frustrating because it's hard to deal with these feelings especially because it's very easy to feel like you haven't personally done anything wrong um and so that's like that creates a really interesting um, like set of conflicting emotions and conflicting um, impulses um, when you're confronted with it. And my encouragement to everyone is to recognize it's like, yeah, this cocktail of feelings we're all feeling is really messed up. We didn't ask for this consciously for the most part, I would say. I don't know. Maybe you did ask for this and you're now realizing that what you've asked for is wrong. Um, but it's our responsibility to do what we can to undo the damage done on our behalf. Yeah. Um, and so when you feel those feelings, recognize that as a call to take concrete action. Um, not, um, and I'm trying to think of, um, ways in which that could be used to, um, uh, be a stumbling block for people. Um, I would say don't take these feelings to your black friends and ask for forgiveness. That's not really helpful. Uh, right. Uh, don't uh, take these feelings and decide that because you have figured out that you want to do something that you're in charge now. That's also not helpful. Right. Um, of course. Just recognize think... that this is a thing that you can help with in small ways and large ways. Um, and try and help. And listen to yeah. people when they say that you're not helping. And don't let your feelings get more hurt about that than yeah. you are motivated to do real help. Uh, yeah, I think it, it's important to realize that, like, you might do something wrong in that process. Yeah. Uh, but learning from that mistake is more important than not being willing to make that mistake. You know yeah. what I mean? And I think that that's been really my biggest problem is because I'm, I've always, you know, obviously felt empathy towards this, um, group of people and the way that they're treated in this country. But I, I've always, I'm just scared of doing the wrong thing, you know? And so I've kind of wound up largely not doing anything. Um, but I think that, you know, it's got to go beyond that. Like I have to be willing to to maybe to learn from mistakes that I make because I'm actually trying to do something. Yeah. You know? And I'm actually I mean, saying something about the situation. Yeah. I would characterize both you and I as 
broadly anxious people. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, no doubt. There's no and doubt so, that. you know, I can see how um, for people like you and I, there is a big challenge in the idea that you might make a mistake and be called out for it. That, that can be a paralyzing feeling. Um, and the important thing to remember in times like that is um, that the point of this is not for you to feel good. <laughs> and that the, when that does happen, the, your goal moving forward shouldn't be to earn forgiveness. It should be to fix the, fix the problem and make it right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, like, this is, this is, these are things that are awkward and unnatural for people who deal with the like neurological challenges that we have. But at the same time, th that's, there are no excuses when it comes to building a better world and we can all do something. Yep. Um, all right. So let's, let's kind of move away from this a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. And talk about the NBA, because... Yeah, so the NBA is coming back. We know that now. They have a plan. Yeah. It was improved via a 29-1 to 1 vote. The Portland Trailblazers um, were the Blazers. one, yeah. which we can speculate on that for a while. Um, so essentially, they're going... Everybody's... Not everybody. <laughs> 22 of the 30 teams are going to Disney World. And where they will stay um, in a degree of, like, a protection bubble in terms of maintaining social distance and self-quarantine. So it's less strict than I have seen originally proposed. Um, yeah. But, you know, there, you know, there's going to be an encouragement to maintain social distancing um, and there's going to be daily testing procedures, like, which yeah. are all really important things for programs coming back from this time apart as the Oklahoma State Cowboys learned this week by the way okay um so the 22 teams are the playoff teams from both conferences and then any teams is it any of the teams within six games of the eight seed yeah that's uh, it's down to the Suns uh, in the West, and honestly, the Suns shouldn't be there. They really like, yeah. realistically, they have to go like eight zero in order right. to be able to kind of put themselves in a position to play for a playoff spot. So right, yeah, and the Suns so, are six games behind the Grizzlies right now. Right, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's um. How many teams is that? It's not the same number of teams in the West and East, for one thing, which I find interesting. Yeah, I mean, the, the Wizards are in ninth. They're the only non-playoff team that's invited from the Eastern Conference. Mm -hmm. And they're five and a half games out of a playoff spot. So, like, just yeah, barely. Yeah, like, the East them. playoffs, like, the teams that are going to be in those are pretty much locked. Yeah. Um, so, how this is going to work is that teams are going to play through their schedules as they can um, right. for eight games, which is not going to put everybody at the same number of games played. It is not going to be an equitable set of like mm -hmm. slate of games for everybody either. Yeah. Um, but everyone's going to play eight games. The initial thought was to follow the schedule as best the existing schedule as best as you could, 
But a lot of people have pointed out that there are like some serious mathematical problems with that. Oh yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I think I saw, uh, I heard that Brian Windhorst was saying that, you know, yeah, the NBA is might use that as a starting point, but in reality, they're gonna try and find some kind of made-for-TV matchups because that's why the NBA is doing this. That's why this is happening is they want yeah. people to watch these basketball games. So they're gonna. I think you're probably gonna see like a you know for the Thunder. Probably gonna see a Rockets game thrown in yeah. there. Like probably gonna see a Jazz game. Like that's that might yeah. be the first. Like wouldn't it be interesting if that was the first game played? Is Thunder Jazz just kind of <laughs> what ended the season? Is where we're gonna yeah. start off now? Oh, like, that'd be fascinating. Talking made for TV. So like you know like I think that that's a re- a realistic thing. I don't. I think they'll avoid. You know I don't think they'll have the Lakers play the Bucks or the Clippers because those are the teams that are really kind of in position they'll want to wait and hold those matchups off a little bit but yeah i think you'll see some really nice matchups going on because i like you said mathematically you just can't have teams you can't just be like all right the thunder are going to play the next eight teams that um are were invited to orlando like that's just not going to work so um i think they'll probably start that way but it will probably end very differently yeah um so that's actually an interesting question. So the Thunder Jazz game technically didn't happen. Well, I guess it technically didn't happen at all. They didn't kick off. They didn't tip off the ball. So I was wondering what it was in the record books as. And I guess it. I, I just remembered it yeah. actually didn't happen at all. Yeah, um, no game. No game. No Did game. you watch that, by the way? Were you? So you... this is an interesting story. My mom was there. Oh, she, wow. My mother was present. Wow. Um, okay. I was at home. Um yeah. I was actually playing Call of Duty at the time, and um, the uh, then I looked down on my phone, and it's like, oh, um, everyone's being asked to, um, the game has been canceled, everyone has been asked to leave, and apparently we're all safe. Right. Yeah. I, what that... a lie, by the way. What an <laughs> enormous lie. We right. weren't safe, it turns out, you know. No. No, of course not. <laughs> what is it? Three months and uh, pandemic and... Uh, protests in every city in America later. Turns out we weren't safe. Right, right. Um, 100,000 people, yeah. No, yeah, 100,000 people dead. They weren't safe. No. Um, so, I, <laughs> God. That was freaking crazy. My aunt was at the game, too, actually. And she never, she literally, I think it was literally her the first game she's ever gone to. Like, she's <laughs> never been to a Thunder game before. And she was at the game. So I, I like, called her and been like hey just making sure you know that this is a thing that happened because my aunt's kind of oblivious mm-hmm. to the world in all honesty so um it was kind of it was kind of crazy um yeah you and i had talked about we probably wouldn't have been able to because we never actually followed up on these but we had talked about going to the nuggets game that was that friday right yeah we did we did um, cause yeah, we were all, we were definitely trying, you know, planning on trying to make it to a game before the end of the season, just cause this, the Thunder team was actually fun. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, it just got kind of taken away though. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So let's get back to the NBA's proposal here. Sure. Um, so everyone is going to play eight games at that mm-hmm. point. The playoffs are locked with the exception of if. A team in the nine seed is within four games of the eight seed. Yeah. 
And there then they will do be single a and play double in tournament for that seed, which four feels like a big gap. I agree. I think um, I think that honestly, and like it's been said, I think the NBA wants the Pelicans to make it. They want Zion in the playoffs. And I think that they're trying to be a little bit more fair to the Pelicans because the numbers said that the Pelicans were more likely to make the playoffs when the season got canceled because their schedule was so easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that they're hoping that they can jump Portland and get within four games of the, yeah. the Grizzlies, which they're I think they're three and a half right now. Yeah. Well, but, I yeah, will say their schedule start. will probably not be significantly easier given that um, they're only going to yeah. be playing bubble and playoff teams from here on out. Right. No, I mean, everybody's schedule is going to be legitimately hard. Like, there's no nights off in terms of, oh, we're playing the Hawks tonight. Great. We're playing the Warriors tonight. Great. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the, the schedules will be weird. But, um, you know, I think if the Pelicans, you know, if they'd had Zion for the whole season, they'd be in the playoffs right now anyways. And I think that that was a large motivator for the NBA. And they're also probably thinking, hell, maybe the Wizards can make up a game and a half on the Magic, and then we get another play-in game. They want as many games as possible. That's really yeah, what the NBA yeah. is going for here. And so the way the play-in games work, to not just completely screw over the eight seeds in these scenarios, is that um, the ninth seed has to beat the eighth seed twice before it loses in order to get its spot. It's essentially the eighth seed is double elimination. The ninth seed is single elimination. Yeah. Yeah. So the eighth seed's going to have to lose twice. So, I mean, I think it's fine. Like, I, I'm fine with that. Like, I think that. Yeah. You know, it's it, they want to have more games and that's cool. That's cool. I, yeah, that's I think it's interesting. I also think it's an opportunity to try out things like play in games because, I mean, the NBA would love for there to be more playoff games. So, Absolutely. If this is a thing people like, like this is very easily like something yeah. you can tack on to uh, the regular season. Yeah, I think I think in a normal season you probably want to make it like oh if you're within two games, right. Uh, right? You get to do that, but this weird situation they made it four. But in a normal season, if you want to do a, a two, a, you know, if you're within two games for the eight seed, have a playoff, then I think that'd be kind of fun. You know, yeah, kind of it, it would be good. I bet the Denver Nuggets um, would be really interested in this proposal. Why's that? Uh, I guess it's not true anymore because Jokic is like a superstar. Um, but they did have that run of like, was it like oh. two years in a row they were eliminated on the last game, on the last night? Yeah. I, I, just, I remember the one where they lost to Minnesota. It was like a winner take all. I don't remember yeah. if it was two years but yeah there well it was that game and then also when russ sent them packing oh right 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 i do remember that i do think they finished night that year too so okay i'm with you i'm with you now um so i guess last couple things that we can talk about the obviously with all the games being played in orlando they're gonna try to make this uh, they seemingly want to give the higher seeds some kind of advantage have there have been strange proposals? proposals along this line what is your favorite proposal that you've seen um favorite is hard because i don't think i like any of them i think the weirdest one is definitely that they'll just bring their courts yeah that one's not feasible 
Like that's yeah. that's ridiculous, honestly. Like this that is an absurd thing to request happen it in also, the middle of a global pandemic. Like it also doesn't give them an advantage yeah. of any kind. Yeah. Like, also I don't want them to take I don't want them to take the court out of Chesapeake to Florida. It's gonna break. It's gonna warp. Yeah. Yeah. It's that would be a very strange decision. Yeah. Um I think you know the the most legitimate one I've heard is that they're gonna give the, the higher seed two challenges. That is the one that feels like a thing that could actually happen. Which yeah. sure. It's not the same as a crowd, but it's no. It's definitely something, and it's not, like, materially unfair, like the proposal that the home seed gets to designate one player to have seven fouls. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that one's really weird. I, I don't want to see, I don't want to see Patrick Beverly or Paul George have seven fouls to mess with. Have seven fouls, yeah. Yeah, when Paul uh, George gets his fifth foul in the second quarter and it's not that big of a deal, right. yeah, I'm not Well, I'm the, not other, the other thing about that is that, like, that could, like, Depending, I don't like how much that puts the game in the hands of the referees, essentially. Because, like, that could either be literally no advantage at all, because the ref knows this guy has seven fouls and is, like, more willing to call ticky-tack stuff on him. Yeah, it's true. Or, like, you know, the ref holds their whistle on a superstar already, and now he has seven fouls. It would be interesting, what if they didn't tell the ref? Interesting. Yeah. Well, like, they would figure... Well, like, well, they wouldn't figure it out, I guess, till it's too late, huh? I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe... Do maybe you have would? any proposals? Well, we should say there's one other proposal, which is um, that the... Um, what are they... That after the tip-off, every... Uh, oh, right. Court ...begins with the home team in possession, which yeah. I feel like is probably too much of a shift in a playoff game i i tend to agree maybe you could give them one extra quarter i don't know but two extra possessions in games that frequently come down to like a possession yeah i don't i i I don't think that would be good um i was the the one i mean the challenge one makes the most sense like it's not much of an advantage but better than nothing i guess um what if I mean, I'm sure there are statistical analysis to re- understand how many points home court advantage is worth to a team. And I'm sure it's not as much as you would think. So, you like, think you should just append that to the score? No, like, yeah, what if, what if the higher seed started the game up two to nothing? This is Daryl Morey has entered the chat, everybody. Um, <laughs> everyone say hi to our good friend Daryl. Yeah, right. Um, the, the, um, I don't think they would do that. I think that I don't either, but I'm, it's just, that's the one it, it is. No, I think it, would, it is an interesting approach to the problem for sure. But yeah. I like, like, I mean, like the joke I made, I don't think anybody wants to play hypothetical basketball. I, I agree. I, I do like the idea of you getting two points and being able to pick which player gets credited for those two points. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, like James Harden, obviously, uh, it's got to be my points, of course. Right. Um, because well, that's all James Harden cares about. But, um, oh yeah, I, I, I'm just, just I'm just imagining now, like, um, well, I guess this wouldn't happen because this that you this wouldn't matter in the regular season at all. Um, 
but <laughs> well, or maybe it should. You know, if these teams are theoretically, or these teams are theoretically should have been playing home games. You know, maybe they should apply these advantages in the regular season games. Anyway, I was going to say that obviously the Rockets would give them to James Harden to see if they could bolster his MVP candidacy. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I there's, I don't think that there's. I mean, the challenge is probably what they will go with if they go with anything. They might just be like, eh, they I, like if I sucks. if I had any suggestions, like, are they going to pipe in sound? I don't know. I think they might do what the Bundesliga has done, um, where they pipe in sound on the broadcast, but not in the arena. Yeah. It's, because it seems to me, I mean, you got the Imagineers all hanging out down there. You could figure out a way to, like, create an illusory court experience that is like a home game. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Right. Um, Will they also- fill the stands with sex dolls? <laughs> Yeah, I think they should, of course. But this um, now, in case people don't know, this is a thing they did in the Korean Baseball League. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that that's the logical thing to do given the circumstances. But um, I think they'll pipe in sound on the broadcast just because there's going to be an extraordinary amount of cussing that they'll have to bleep out if yes. they don't. Yes. Uh, so. I think that they'll do that just to make the job easier on themselves. Mm-hmm. I would love, like, we saw it with The Last Dance. Put the cussing game on ESPN and put the game with the piped noise on ESPN2 and then just show both. I would love yeah. to hear the cussing. I want to hear Mello say, get the fuck out of here every time he gets a rebound. I mean, yeah. is that too much to ask? I don't think so. Now... Some other aspect of this schedule, as we've been discussing it. So the proposed start date is July 31st. This is yeah. going to run well into October. We're yeah, talking... October 12th is Game Seven of the Finals if it gets to that point. Yeah. So what we're like, that's like, there will be conference football games happening alongside yeah. the NBA Finals. Yeah, I mean there'll be conference football games. The NFL will be in full swing. I'm glad that the NBA decided not like I think it would have been legitimately dangerous to try to get done earlier than what they're doing yeah. right now. Yeah, so I'm absolutely. glad that they they kind of set aside that fact. I think people will, I think people will watch. I mean, I'm sure as hell going to watch. It's absolutely him going to watch. Point, by that point we're talking conference final games, we're talking the finals. Like I'm going to watch the shit out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I'm glad that the NBA kind of because I was worried the original plan was like, yeah, we're going to start mid-July and be done by Labor Day. And I was like, that's that's dangerous. You know, like you're going to have to do back to backs and like that's just not healthy for these guys that have been out for by that time, four months. You know, which is another thing we should talk about um, in terms of the nature of who is benefiting from everybody pressing pause for a while. Um, in part because I think one of the teams is definitely not the Thunder. Yeah. Yeah, I um, think you're right. I mean, I think the Thunder were, they were in a, they were on a roll. You know, they were one of the best teams in the NBA the last couple of months of the season. And they were eight and two in their last 10 games before it got canceled. Yeah. Uh, they were lined up in, and I mean, obviously, it, the season got canceled, so we don't know how it would have proceeded from there. But um, 
you know, if we were to just jump in the playoffs now, they're lined up to play the Jazz, who are down Bogdan or Is it Bogdan? Uh, it is Boyan. It's Boyan. Okay. Yeah. God. It's, Bogdan is on the Kings. Correct. Right. So they were down Boyan Bogdanovich. Um, I, I still the only Donovan player not named Mitchell Donovan Mitchell who can get his own shot on that team. And I still think Donovan Mitchell probably still hates Rudy Gobert. So yeah, yeah. Or at least I would. I would still hate Rudy Gobert. Yeah. I also didn't like Rudy Gobert before the whole thing. So mm-hmm. no, yeah, definitely. This is a this is absolutely a storyline to watch. Is is Rudy Gobert going to be the most hated player in the history of the NBA when this comes back? Like, dude, I, it's it's going to be interesting. I'll be interested to see how his. I mean, at least he's not going to have to deal with any fans. Because I know that the fans would not be fans of him. No, um, no, no, and I'm no. I'm sure he'll have to deal with that whenever there are fans again. But yeah, God, imagine his return to Oklahoma City. I know, I know, uh, that's going to be crazy. But um, yeah, I don't. I, yeah, the the Thunder are in a weird situation with this because they were playing great basketball. They also, I mean, unless you want to count. Uh, Andre Robertson and Darius Baisley, they didn't have any like super substantial players that were hurt. Yeah, that are they're going to get back because of this long break. So I don't really see a positive in terms of this, but I think that you know I was kind of thinking this before the Thunder might be a pretty good playoff team. I think they have the kind of team that might do well in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, when I say that, they might win around of the playoffs if the matchup is fine. Right. But that's um, more than a Thunder team has done in three years. That is, that is accurate where, yeah, like the last couple of years, it's like, Oh, the game's going to slow down. That does not play to our advantage. I think that might actually play to a Chris Paul led Thunder team's advantage. Yeah. Because Chris Paul's a lot better than Russell Westbrook. So, um, yeah, just, just saying, um, I, I do want to like, are there teams that you think like, Besides, like, oh, well, it helps the Sixers because Ben Simmons is healthy now. It helps the Blazers, obviously. Like, these are obvious. But, like, are there teams that you, like, think are built for this kind of situation that, you know, they're probably going to be in a better position to not miss a beat after being off for four months? Mm. You know, think about this. It's really a question of teams that – it's hard to say, honestly. Um, I think – there's a degree to which I think the Lakers will obviously be fine. Oh, yeah. um, and honestly, probably better since, like, LeBron is now very rested. Yeah. Um, the Rockets, I think, are also in a similar situation, um, given the amount of rest Harden has been able to get before going into this playoff stretch. Oh, yeah. And given PJ the Tucker. horrible situation his shooting was in coming into this. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, broadly speaking, you would want to like you teams that rely on athleticism and organization are at most disadvantaged. So teams with like skillful guys who can get their own shot and don't rely on their athleticism to do it are probably the teams that benefit the most from this. Yeah. And if you look at it, I think that, you know, you said the Lakers, their, their offense is really simple. It's LeBron create all the shots, and every now and then we'll let AD post up, and that's it. That's mm-hmm. pretty much all they do. So I think the Lakers are in a really good position 
Um, they have the best player in the league running yeah. their team. Um, I think the, the Clippers, Clippers also. Yeah, yeah, they're in a great spot. They have maybe the best isolation score in terms of like the mid post and in the the mid range with Kawhi. I think that that's going to be a really yeah. translatable thing. And obviously um, with the Clippers, you, you know, Kawhi and Paul George are both players who's or almost defined whose careers are really been defined by wear and tear in the regular season. You know, yeah. something Kawhi has been able to overcome in the playoffs, and Paul George has definitely not. So right. being able to take a break like this probably helps Paul George considerably. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think that, unfortunately, I was I would love to see Paul George suck in the playoffs because he sucked right. the last few years, and I do not want the Clippers to win. But, you know, Paul George, I mean, he missed the beginning of the season, and I think the further he gets away from having that shoulder surgery that he had last offseason, the better for him. You yeah. know, so I think the Clippers are in a really good spot. Like you said, I think the Rockets are in a, a lot better position now because I think P.J. Tucker was going to die if he had tried to, you know, finish the season and mm-hmm. play the playoffs without rest because they're asking him to play center full time. Like, I think that the Rockets might be in a really good position to make a run as much as I hate it. Um, you know, I think if Harden gets hot, they might be able to make the finals. You know, like I think that that's not unrealistic whereas before this i thought ah, they're going to be gassed by the time the playoffs come and they'll be screwed so yeah. but that might not be the case now it's um it's important to note that the rockets are the oldest roster in the league mm-hmm. by a pretty considerable amount by more than a full year oh wow on average yeah. over the lakers um huh. the third oldest team in the league is the bucks who i suspect might underachieve out of the gate. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, they, they move the ball a lot. They have their system. They do have Giannis, which is very right. helpful. Right. But, but they this, also, I think they're going to be in a situation where they have to start, like they're going to have to essentially be playing playoff basketball in terms of like, they're going to have to just rely on Giannis to do everything for a little while until they figure out how to, you know, make everything work and get all the old guys into shape. Yeah, I think that's fair. Also, they have the Lopez twins, probably going to be very distracted since it's at Disney. It's, Uh, yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm like the 10,000th person to make that joke. So, yay for me. But, um, yeah, I I, I am interested. I mean, the Bucks are also not really, in my opinion, built for the playoffs in general. Like, I think they're, you know, they're the probably third contender in my mind behind the Clippers and the Lakers. Um, even though they're by far the best regular season team in basketball. But mm-hmm. so, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they're able to bounce back and everything. But all right. I want to focus on the Oklahoma city thunder though. Okay. Yes. Because it's been a while since we've watched them play. Um, and one of the things that I have done over the past pretty much the last couple weeks, maybe over the last month even, is that I have gone back and listened to a lot of older Thunder podcasts, including our own, um, Mm -hmm. for big situations. Like I listened to the podcast the morning that the Thunder traded Paul George, um, listened to other Thunder podcasts just to kind of try to remember what we were talking about back then and then, you know, kind of comparing it to what has actually happened. Um, and I think that the most obvious thing that I don't think anybody in the world saw coming is Chris Paul. 
Like that yeah. dude. I when we traded for him, I was like, I do not want to watch this guy play for this team. I hate this guy, um, and I have no idea why we traded for him. I mean, I guess we got picks and stuff like that was cool, but I was not excited about it. Um, and now it's like I would die for Chris Paul, and I can't wait to see what he does in the playoffs with the Thunder now. Um, and I think he's a very tradable asset. Like when we first got him, it was like, wow, are we going to like buy this guy out? What are we going to do with this contract? But mm-hmm. now it's like, I think we could probably get a first round pick for Chris Paul. Yeah. Well, it's like the, um, like the first thing to surprise us about Chris Paul was definitely how he handled the media. Right. He was very oh, genial. Yeah. He did. He was clearly not attempting to force his way out. Um, right. And he was, I mean, he was just professional and kind and warm. He answered questions. He knew, he understood the situation he was in and the situation the organization was in. It was, yeah, so that was really impressive. And then um, he couldn't miss shots in the fourth quarter all season. Yeah, yeah. he just happened to be the best fourth quarter player in the league this year. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was cool. And it, it, was, it was cool to have a point guard that could shoot. <laughs> like, yeah, I enjoyed that. That was fun. Yeah. Um, um, it was extremely cool. Yeah. Um, he was a great mentor to Shea and to yeah. Darius Baisley. Like, these are both guys who, like, clearly have developed relationships with him that will improve them massively as players moving forward in their careers. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the big things that everyone was talking about is, like, God, we're going to bring Chris Paul into a young team. He's just a big jerk. He's going to be mean to everybody. He's not going to be a good mentor. Like, and it turns out he's actually just the opposite of that. Like, it just turns out that it's really frustrating to play with James Harden. Who would have thought, (laughs) you know, when you watch it, it kind of seems like when you're working with James Harden and Tillman Fertitta is your boss. Yeah. It's a bad time. Right. Right. And, yeah, it's like the Rockets, the most, you know, just the whiniest team in the NBA. Yeah, it's it's going to have a, a negative impact on your attitude, I feel like. So, yeah, that's been really fun. Um, and just the idea, I think that the big thing is, is Chris Paul is at his best when he is the best player on a team, mm-hmm. you know, or when he's the leader of a team. Um, yeah. He's at his best. And I think that this has been the perfect situation for him to do that. Um, yeah. And the other, like the great thing is that he can be the best player on this team and not feel any need to score more than 17 points a game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like how many games this year is like, wow, Chris Paul has, has shot three times going into the fourth quarter. Yeah. And then in the fourth quarter, it's like, all right, time to close this out. And he gets to the mid range and closes it out, mm-hmm. you know, but for the first three quarters, he's letting Schroeder, he's letting Shea, letting Steven Adams do stuff like it's it's been really cool because that was one of the big things with Russ is that you could not function this way with Russ because Russ can't not dominate his team Russ like literally the Houston Rockets have built their team around him because that's the only way that they can have any kind of success he's not yeah. the best player on that team not and they have to far. build around Russ yeah oh man so true. Um, yeah. The so, next yeah, thing, Chris Paul has been a revelation. Move on. Absolutely. The next thing I want is obviously Danilo Gallinari. We all thought that that guy would be traded, buff, like, maybe even before the season started. Yeah. And 
did not I would have bet a thousand dollars that he would be traded by the trade deadline. Yeah. And really the only thing we ever heard was with Miami. And that did seem like it was gonna happen at one point, but right. and then, I thought there would be like five or six teams rumored during the season to trade for Danilo Gallinari and it just never really came together. Yeah. I think there's a couple things going on with that. I think the first is that like obvi- like Danilo is an incredibly valuable piece this year, but there like there are specific things he wanted, like he wanted a contract extension, you know. He yeah. um that well, and teams trading for him wanted him to extend so that they knew that they weren't trading him for just the rest of the season. And right. Right. He couldn't agree on a long enough extension with Miami, I think. Right, so like he had an understanding of what he wanted out of his contract situation. Um, also, there's uh, the mar- like the market for him was a, I think a little bit depressed in terms of like I mean Gallo is a player who add, would add something to basically every team in the NBA, but there were only so many teams that actually needed it. Yeah, um, and the only team and the team that most obviously needed it decided they didn't. I guess. Um, yeah, they they decided Mellow was better. Yeah, um, for what they they were needing. So yeah. Um, so yeah, the fact that Portland was apparently just not interested in the obvious solution to their problems was a big part of this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. It, it, and I think also that the the season, like going into this year, we thought there's like going to be seven or eight contenders and everything, and there just wasn't that many. Like there, no, there's, it turns there's out the Lakers three. and the Clippers are really good. Yeah, the Clippers, Lakers, and Bucks are just a lot better than everybody else. So, like, yeah. you know, like, the Raptors are fun. Boston's fun. Philly's a disaster. Like, there's that. But, like, we, yeah. we thought all of those teams were going to be, like, legit contenders. And yeah. Denver hasn't worked out as well as we thought yeah. they would. Well, we thought – we assumed that the Lakers and Clippers were going to coast through the regular season. I think we said they were going to be, like, the fourth seed. Right. No, you could have can you could have told me before the year started that the Lakers are going to be the sixth seed, and I would have been like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. You know? I didn't think LeBron was going to try. I didn't think AD. Like I thought they would just do the bare minimum, and it just turned out that they were just better than everybody else because no, yeah, largely it, they would go games and not play that hard and still win. Yeah. It turns out they're they're just extremely good. Um, Mike Conley on the Jazz has been a disaster when we thought that was like a sure thing to give them exactly what they needed. Yeah. And now they don't have Bojan. Like, um, Houston, like, obviously, Houston got worse when they traded for Russell Westbrook. Um, and they had to just go freaking crazy. and Right. Then they got deeply, deeply strange. Yeah. And I think that people were finally starting to realize that, like, they were getting over the weirdness, I guess, by the end of the season or by the mm-hmm. time the season was canceled because they were not playing well. You know, the, Houston was down to the sixth seed by the time the season got canceled. So, yeah, it got postponed. And, you know, I think that, you know, it became fairly obvious that Houston would have been better off just keeping Chris Paul and giving another run with that mm-hmm. team. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that didn't happen. I think Portland had a disastrous season. Like, no one thought that they were going to be as terrible as they were. Right. Uh, and you, you can point to injuries, but, like, they just weren't good. Like, yeah. they just weren't very good. Between injuries and they just made bad moves. Yeah, their free like, agency, their offseason was horrible. Yeah. Absolutely miserable. They traded away, like, 
all, all of their wing depth. Yep. For Hassan Whiteside. away is not the correct term, but... They let him walk. Well, they traded yeah. one and let the other walk for Hassan Whiteside, so... Yeah. He was not, not a not good bat... I mean, I shouldn't say he's not a good basketball player. He's not a good NBA basketball player. Yes. Yeah. Say that. Um, so, yeah, it didn't work out for the trade for Gallo. I do wonder... I think the Thunder are going to try and get something out of him, you know, whether that just be, like, a trade exception. I don't know. Um, that, that I don't think they'll let Gallo just walk in the summer for nothing. I, no, I, bet, heard, I bet something will happen. I've heard um, the, the idea. I mean, obviously, a signing trade is a thing that could happen. I've heard the idea of just extending him. I really hope they don't do that, and I will kind of go into that a little bit more later um, as to why I do not want that to happen. Um but I will give it to Gallo. He has been pretty good this year. I don't like him, or I didn't like him very much. But he's, you know, he's kind of grown on me a little bit. He's a good. He's the guy. He's the kind of guy the Thunder just haven't had. Basically, yeah. since they've been and just an like NBA a big, team. yeah, just a large-bodied, versatile scorer at three levels. Like yeah, he shot forty percent from three. Like he's a good scorer. Yeah. You know? It's a horrible defender, but hey, I just thought of another large-bodied versatile scorer at three levels the Thunder have had on their team before. Yeah, I mean, obviously, <laughs> I guess I guess they haven't had that kind of role player. Exactly, know? exactly. Obviously we've had the, the Kevin Durant, but um, yeah, that kind of role player was just like a pure knockdown shooter. Like that's not been a thing the Thunder. Have yeah, had. exactly. Um, and then finally, I guess a couple more, a couple more. We were exceedingly high on Terrence Ferguson after yeah. last year. Yeah. Oh boy, did he have a bad season before this? You know, and I, it seems like he had a lot of personal things going on, and maybe that's a thing that can come out of this. Like he's maybe gotten that put in the right place the last mm-hmm. four months. Although I don't know if all the crazy shit that's happened would. It seems like that would not help matters for most people, but maybe he's been able to get that um, ironed out. Right, but, you, you just don't know. Um, yeah. But that, yeah, no, we went into this, Terrence was, um, you know, I, we certainly both liked Terrence, I think, coming in, though I think both of us agreed that he wasn't really, like, necessarily a player in the Thunder's future for us. Right. Um, well, and I, the thing with him is that we were just like, the Thunder have the 3 and D wing that they've been looking for. You yeah, know, like yeah. he's on the team and he's growing. He's a player. He probably won't ever be much more than that, but that player in itself is valuable. And this year, like for the most part, the dude's been invisible. Yeah. Like it's not even like, that. He just goes whole games without taking shots. Yeah. It's not even that he's putting up brick after brick. Like it's just, you don't notice him on the basketball court on the offensive end. Yeah. Defensively, he improved and he was fine. He was a good defender. Yeah. yeah. But I have a theory about this, by the way. Yeah, go ahead. That literally just came to me. Um, it's I really think that the shift in the Thunder's offensive philosophies um, uh-huh. brought out the like really exposed his weaknesses because yeah. he's not a guy who can really move the ball around. He's like his contribution to the Russell Westbrook teams was that he was very content to stand in a corner until he was open. Right. And that was that's what you have to do around Russell Westbrook and, and this team. That's just not the case. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I don't think that Terrence Ferguson's feel for the game on the offensive side. Like he 
I'm fully willing. He is a good defender. The numbers don't love him defensively, but just you watch that dude get around screens. He knows how to defend. Yeah, but he's, he's a smart end, defender. Like, yeah. he is legitimately one of the guys in the league who can defend James Harden. Like, right. But on the um, offensive end, anytime he dribbles the ball, it's it, it's a disaster. A disaster. It's yeah. horrendous. I don't think he sees the pass that he's going to make before he gets the ball. No. I think he has to get it and then look, and that is not really conducive for moving the ball quickly in an offense that you need that to happen. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I, yeah, I think you're right, and maybe I, I would like to see the numbers on this, but like he might be the kind of guy that his touches have increased this year, but his shots have gone down because – he knows that he has to like look for other things and move the ball. Yeah, and I kind of like, wonder. Or go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say like so. Well, so much of the Thunder's success in attack this year has been in three guard lineups, where you have multiple players who can move around and move the ball around and then attack out of triple threat. Like yeah, which is not a thing he can do at all. Right. I do kind of wonder because that's been a thing that I've heard has been emphasized with him since day one was, oh, well, you know, we're going to send him to Summer League and he's we're going to give him the ball and see what he can do and develop him that way, mm-hmm. which theoretically is a really good idea. That's how yeah. you mold a well-rounded basketball player. But I kind of wonder if they would have been better served in just making sure he was really, really, really good at what he was already good at before that. You know, right. like, he's right now... He's a streaky shooter, but there's nothing really about his shot that makes you think, oh, he can't no. be a really good his, shooter. Yeah, his shot is really mechanically sound. It's really consistent yeah. in its form. Yeah, he gets good lift. Like, why not make him an elite catch-and-shoot three-point shooter first? Mm-hmm. So at the very least, he has that skill um, to lean on that he knows that he can be a contributor in that way. Mm-hmm. Um and I, that's one of the things, like, I don't know, you know, the Miami Heat this year with Duncan Robinson. You know, this is kind of a random dude, but, like, he's this tall, you know, six foot seven shooter out of Michigan, and all he does is shoot threes, you know? Yeah. And that was the thing that the Heat really decided that they were going to do was, it's like, you're a really, really good shooter. We're going to make you an elite shooter. And then you can focus on other aspects of your game in terms of putting the ball on the floor. And I kind of wonder well, if that, for Terrence Ferguson, would have been the way to go. Yeah, and, well, and the other thing, when I look at, like, expanding Terrence's game, another thing, like, dude is an absurd athlete. Like, dude is insanely, he has insane vertical. He is incredibly quick on his feet. Um, if I was going to look to expand his field for the game, I would love to see see like attempt to do that to what he's doing when he doesn't have the ball. Right, the cutting and all that. Right, cutting, um, movement, like screen, like setting back screens, running through yeah. back screens, like that sort of stuff is to me like. And he clearly has an understanding of like snaking around the court because you see it on the defensive side, you know, in his off ball right. defense, like. So, to me, like, you get that guy running, like, taking shots off of curls and develop that skill before you're, like, right. point Terrence, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, develop him as a guy that can shoot up with movement rather than a guy that's going to have to make plays. Because I, I just don't know if 
you know, the way he sees the game, if that is conducive to success for him. Like, I really don't, um, mm-hmm. just based off what I've seen. And I think maybe that's something they figured out over this break is that we need to simplify things for him and make sure that, like, when he gets the ball, he shoots the freaking basketball. Yeah. You know? Well, and yeah. Now, the other thing that has happened to Terrence is, you know, as his star has diminished, another star has risen in our hearts and on the lineup chart. Yeah, of course. Of course. I am talking, of course, about Oklahoma City's truest hero, Lugans Dort. Oh, yeah. Um, I I listened, I went back and listened to uh, one of our draft pods from this year. From I was a year. Dort hater. You were, all, all, and Sam Sam loved Lou Dort. I liked Lou Dort just fine. I was really excited when we got him as a, a non-drafted guy. But Sam was like, yeah, let's take him at 21 or whatever. But, yeah, so shouts shouts to Sam. For yeah, shouts to Sam. I will say that my argument Dort. for why Lou Dort was not a good pick for the Thunder was, what does he do with Russell Westbrook? And it turns out he doesn't play on the same team as Russell Westbrook. Yeah, it's true. He doesn't. He defends Russell Westbrook, probably. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that that guy, if you got a, a long-term rotation player um, in Lou Dort out of a non-drafted pick, that's that speeds the, that expedites the process of what the Thunder are going to go through. Right. Know? Like, um, when we got Lou Dort, I think we were talking about, like, he projects as, like, at his peak, he's going to be, like, poor man's Marcus Smart. And it's like, right. well, maybe now at his peak, he's Marcus Smart. Right. Yeah, I, I watched, I actually watched this uh, YouTube video a couple days ago, and it was just Lou Dort defensive highlights. And <laughs> a lot of things that he did, it was like, yeah, Marcus Smart does that. Like, just diving on the floor, doing stuff, and just mm-hmm. being weird and making stuff happen. It's like, yeah, that's that's very Marcus Smart. Yeah. Um, he's a terrible shooter. <laughs> Um, yeah, but sometimes they go in. Look, sometimes, sometimes he gets hot, in. and it's wild. Yeah. I don't. I think he he's definitely not Andre Robertson. I will say, like he's yeah. definitely not gonna never figure out how to shoot. I think he's gonna shoot. I think the Thunder found a guy that, you know, depending on who he's playing with, he might be a guy that can start for a really really good team. Um, yeah. I mean, he's starting for a good team right now, but I'm talking yeah. like. He could start for an elite team maybe in the future. At the very least, you're talking first guard off the bench that can play with a bunch of different kinds of players, mm-hmm. and that's a really valuable player to have. Um, and then Darius Baisley. Darius Baisley. Man. We both remember really draft like night. Yeah. Of course. Do you remember draft night where we were at the draft party and nobody there except, like, me – knew who he was yeah well uh, i didn't even know who he was yeah so you I know you leaked the information to me because everybody else at this draft party was in strict no spoilers mode and i was like so tell me about him and you like suppressing laughter where like he's like a he's a long athletic wing and yeah. i was like can he shoot and you were like no <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's that's pretty much it and if you look at his numbers, you know, he shot 38% from the field, 30% from three this year. Not good, no. obviously. But the guy flashed some elite tools. Like, there yeah. are times I 
again a couple of days ago. I was on a kick. I watched a Darius Baisley full season highlight video, and there are things to work with there. And yeah. man, there time- by the way, our um, the highlight wells running dry. That there are full season highlight videos for Lou Dort and Darius Baisley. Oh yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. No, there. I mean, you can find it for a lot of players, but um, Baisley is. I like him a lot. Like, I think that the Thunder might have the future starting four for their next really good team. Um, I, yeah, I just, he, there's a degree to which, apart from his shooting, which stands to be improved and could very well improve, he is, like, the type of player I would love to see the Thunder draft, like, seven more of. Right. In terms of, like, this is a guy who, at his position... Like, like it first off, is like he naturally fits into a position and can do everything on a basketball court. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he flashed some elite passing ability. He flashed ball handling ability, finishing ability, floater ability. There were games he would make like four or five threes. You know, he shot thirty percent, but there were games like he would get hot. Like, yeah, there was stuff to work with, and this is. Like, he didn't play basketball in college. Like, he yeah. did the New Balance internship, made a million dollars working for New Balance and working out. And this was his first competitive basketball. And it was noticeable when he got hurt because he missed, like, a month before the whole shutdown. And it was like, oh, shit, we're playing Abdul Nader a lot, you know? <laughs> really wish we had Darius Baisley to throw yeah. out there. Like, I, I'm i a fan. I'm a fan of this kid. Um I think the, the Thunder found something there. Yeah. Um, and it just – I, I like the, the trend that we're, we're getting with, with Thunder draft picks where it's just like, oh, we're taking that guy? And then it actually turns out to be okay. I'm a fan of that. Yeah. Um, and then finally, we got to talk about Shea because yeah. this is a guy that the night that we traded for him – I said, I've watched him play, but I don't think I've ever seen him do anything impressive. And you said that you had seen him live and mm-hmm. that he was fine. At the very least, we seemingly maybe have like a 3 and D point guard type. And, uh, yeah, we just didn't really know. No. Um, like, this, this dude's a yeah. star. Yeah. Dude is, I mean... Have you seen have have you seen like photos of him recently? By the way, it feels like he's bulked up. I have not. Um, it's like on Instagram or something. Yeah, yeah, I saw a photo of him working have seen, out. Have you seen? He looks a little thicker. Have you seen Darius Baisley? He no. looks bigger. Yeah, that's that good. dude has that's good. bulked up a little bit. Yeah. Um, no, both of that, a lot of that bulk could be very natural off-season bulk. Uh-huh. Um. But, um, no, like, that's, like, Shea's a star. Shea's a guy who can, he's, honestly, his defense has been the most disappointing thing about him this year. Like. And that's fine. Yeah. I mean, he's been a totally acceptable defender. He's been a great part of a three-guard lineup that is swarming on defense. Um, Uh Uh-huh. Like, he can take and make step-back threes. Apparently. 
That's um, not a thing that I knew he could do before. Yeah. yeah. And he's just like one of the craftiest finishers you can imagine. And he's also six seven with a seven foot wingspan and can handle the ball and initiate an offense. Yeah, like he is so good. I mean, if you want to watch a fun highlight video, watch Shea. Like it's just him going in and making weird layups and hitting like there was there's this three he made against Boston at home where it was just like pull up in transition we're down six and he cuts the lead in half Mm -hmm. and it's pretty it's awesome it's awesome to watch but um he's he's special man and i don't know if we at this point know how good he's going to be you know like i don't think it's impossible that he's a guy that's gonna average like 25 27 points a game at some point like i think he has that kind of upside you know, maybe ideally he's kind of averaging in the low twenties next to another star that's maybe better. Um, yeah, but I think like. Well, I mean, you look at guy, what he, you look at his average in this offense, which is like one of the most balanced office balanced offenses in the NBA right now. That is like wholly dedicated to like just doing whatever comes to you. Um, and he averages 20 points a game, just literally doing whatever he com- what comes to him next to Dennis Schroeder and Chris Paul. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I do, I am interested, like I do wonder if his creation responsibility increased, if that would like his efficiency would go down because I right. mean, he's next to two better creators. So it's really his job to score. I mean, that's yeah. really what it does. Um, do you remember that game where he had 20 rebounds? I do remember that time he had 20 rebounds. That was funny. That was awesome. Like, 20 points, 20 rebounds. Like, that's... This kid is good. And he's the kind of guy, like, going into this, I, I was like, I think he's a good role player. Like, he'll be fine. Um, and then at one point, I was like, well, if he gets too good, are we going to want to trade him? Because he'll be too good so we can't tank. But I think really what I've kind of come around to the idea of is that you have to keep this kid no matter what. Yeah. And, he's worth it. He's and worth you it. have, I think he, I think you have to push the timeline up. Like, I think that you have to make the next two years, something the way you can get your high draft picks so that you can start competing with Shea. Yeah. Otherwise I do think it's possible that he gets too good to where you can't, where you're just kind of stuck in the middle um, but I think that that's the thing that we have to avoid. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. And that's just not something I saw coming going into this. I thought we got a nice player and a buttload of picks and that's awesome. Um, so I think that, you know, my, my plans, like we talked about Chris Paul being a really tradable asset. Like we have to trade that guy this summer or I say summer. We have to trade that guy this off season um, because we have to tank next year. I think that yeah. next year has to be the beginning of that process. Otherwise, we might wind up getting to a position where Shea push, pushes us to the middle. So I would really like to see us take advantage of the next two years. Hopefully you get the pieces that you need, and then you can develop into a contending-type team. And that's where I'm at with this Thunder team. Mm-hmm. Hey, Real quick question. I don't know if the NBA has put out any information on this. What the hell is going to happen with the draft? Yeah, they put out a, 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 not like an official date, but like a, 
um, I don't know. They, I'm forgetting the word that I'm supposed to use in this situation. The date that they put out is October 15th. That can change. Okay. Um, it's literally like three days after the season would end if the finals go seven, which is right. hilarious. Um, but it's also like just a month before teams would report back for training day or training camp for the next season. So it's just all That's crazy. But wild, yeah. Yeah, I think um, the uh, they ha- they said the lottery was going to be August 25th and that the draft was going to be October 12th. Okay. So or October 15th. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, uh, no, yeah. I imagine you have the lottery essentially as soon as you, as soon as the seating is set. Yeah, yeah, I think so, and yeah. that's yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty yeah. crazy all that all that's gonna happen. But right um, now, this is a dumb question. Um, do the ninth seed teams um, are they in the lottery? What do you mean? Like, what if a ninth seed team makes the playoff? Yeah, do they I still get their that, lottery pick, or do or do they trade seedings with the eighth pick? I think that the I think the eighth seed would get the pick at that point. Interesting. I think I think that that would be how it goes, which would be, I mean, it'd be like wild if you know Memphis misses the playoffs, but then they get like the third pick or something like. <laughs> Then, yeah. Yeah. The, well, the, the other the other interesting us. aspect surrounding this draft in particular is um, there's going to be a lot of market inefficiency. Right. Uh, yeah. Because ain't nobody know anything about these guys right now. Oh, that's what I'm thinking. Like, if the Thunder could somehow, if they could get a guy, like maybe they wind up being able to keep their pick. Mm-hmm. If they can find a contributor in this draft, I think that will be a relative rarity. Um. So, in, you know, at that point, you've got Shea, maybe Lou Dort, Darius Baisley, and one guy from this draft. Yeah. You know, obviously His name that's might not be gonna... Josh Green. Sure. Of course. Maybe that happens. And then that's not going to make your team good for the next couple of years. But it's going to be interesting able... to watch. And, like, those guys are going to develop. Yeah. If you suck next year, let's say, like, Dream scenario here. You suck next year. You wind up vaulting into like the top two. You get Jalen Green or Cade Cunningham next year to pair with Shea in the backcourt. And then the next year, that might be the double draft. So if you're bad that year as well, then you're probably going to wind up with a really good player in that draft also. Um, And then by 2022, you might be done with your tanking because Shea is able to be good enough to be a number one player on a team while these other guys develop. Darius Baisley's developed into a pretty good player. Lou Dort, like if yeah. that's how if that's the process, then this whole thing that's a pretty short process. Yeah. You tank for and oh years by the way, you still guys. own the next four years of the Clippers future. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. Like that ideally the Thunder are a good team by the time those Clippers and those Celtics, or not Celtics, the Clippers and the Rockets picks start coming to mm-hmm. roost. And then you're just adding on to a really good team. Or you're, oh, we want to add freaking, I don't know, elite player, so we'll give you this pick. Yeah. Give you these picks to go with our already team. And then, hey, you're a title contender. You know what right. I mean? Like That's kind of the way I've 
I'm looking at this. I mean, that's obviously best case scenario, but I think that that's the way I hope the Thunder are thinking about this. Like, I don't think that, you know, I think that, oh, well, we, we're not going to trade Chris because we can't get good value until he's an expiring contract, so we're going to keep him another year. I don't think that's the way to go about it. I think you just trade Chris Paul so you make your pick worse next year um, so that hopefully, like, the timeline can maybe line up with, like, what we're talking about right now. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, I I would be surprised if that wasn't the Thunder's plan, honestly, because it's laid out really straightforwardly for them, especially if they can trade Chris Paul to, like, the Knicks or whatever. Right. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, man, I, I keep, you know, obviously I, I've thought a fair amount about this, but I've seen a lot of, like, well, you're probably not, you can get maybe the late first-round pick the Knicks have this year. But I'm like, man, if the Knicks get the seventh pick in the draft, how good of a pick is that? You know, for yeah. the Knicks especially. You know, mm-hmm. like, what the hell are the Knicks going to do with Isaac Okoro? Like, they're probably going to mess it up. So right, they they're going to draft a power forward. Yeah, they might be like, you know what? We'll give you the seventh pick for Chris Paul because we're the Knicks and we just hired Tom Thibodeau and we want to be good immediately. You know, the Thunder might be able to to leverage that situation into getting a really high pick, even if it's not a very good draft, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, I think, a great plan moving forward. It puts the organization in a great position. It's a lot of reasons to be happy about being a Thunder fan. Um, the alternative scenarios are a longer rebuild which is probably not like at that point you're almost looking at a situation where maybe you do end up trading Shay, um, and that just doesn't seem smart given that what he appears to be. Yeah, no, I I think if you delay the process by too much, you might put yourself in a position to where you at least think you have to trade Shay. Like and yeah. that might be the wrong decision anyways, but. Um, I think if there's one thing you can maybe the Thunder learns in that first era is that, like, if you've got a really good player, don't trade him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, like, I would Unless almost... Unless it's Serge Ibaka. Yeah, right? Yeah. Trade him. If you can trade him for a better player, absolutely. Right. Um, um, yeah, but no. Um, the uh, No, like, I think that that possibility is suboptimal for the Thunder because right. Shea will be too good too quickly. Yeah, now let's talk about the possibility that they try to remain competitive. Yeah. Okay, but real quick, how stupid would the Thunder look if they traded Shea and he became as good as James Harden again? Right, exactly. Like, they would right. never be able to live that down. I don't think that they'll make that mistake twice. Yeah. Um, so in a Thunder remain competitive scenario, like, and I've thought about this, like, I mean, Chris Paul's awesome. Why not just keep him? You know, he obviously is fine with being here and the Thunder are good and they can probably remain pretty good um, even beyond this season. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess the alternate reality is that you let Chris Paul finish his contract. I think he has two more years after this. Um, and you just kind of build around them. Is that kind of what you're going for here? Yeah, just like saying like, well, 
you know, actually, we kind of think it makes sense to keep this stuff going. We'll keep Chris around. Yeah. We'll re-sign Gallo. Right. Um, and just see He's what happens. Seen. Yeah, I, I'm really not a fan of that particular thing. Like, I've, mm-hmm. you know, I've, there's been times when Chris Paul is hitting every mid-range shot. I'm like, I don't want to lose this guy. You know, like, that has gone through my mind. But, like, I think the reality of the situation is that the Thunder are overachieving this year. Usually that doesn't happen more than one year. You mm-hmm. know, you got a team like, this team is kind of, you know, the best players are older players. They're probably going to get worse. And I know Shea's going to get better, but, like, I just don't see the upside um, to that. And I think the the more likely scenario is if you try that, you're going to wind up missing the playoffs. And then you have an unhappy Chris Paul in Oklahoma City. And yeah. Much worse than what you have now. I think right now it's the time to trade him because he's going to, A, he's going to leave being like, hey, I had fun there. It was great. You know, I loved playing for the Thunder. And, B, you can get something for him now. Going into this, we thought, oh, shit, we might have to give up two first-round picks to get rid of him. You know, and that's just not, I don't think, the case anymore. So I think that that's, that's the way I would go, honestly. Like, yeah. trade the guy. I mean, don't, you know, if you can get something, if you can sign and trade Gallo, get something for him, great. If not, let the guy walk. That's fine. I would find a place to trade Schroeder. I don't want to watch that guy play for a tanking team. That would be infuriating. Yeah. Um, that, that's another with, question I actually had, given how good, the, given the Thunder's success this year, is do you think that Dennis Schroeder has taken a step forward, or is this kind of a mirage? I think because. it's pro- I think it's probably kind of an outlier season if I were right. guessing. Like, I, I mean, not to say that I think he could put up good numbers, but I don't think he's going to have as impactful of a season as he's had this year. Um, I think the situation he's in, the three-point yard lineup, there's something about that the teams just can't figure out. Right. And well, it puts whoever's guarding Schroeder in a difficult position because he's legitimately very quick. Right. Um, and then also, um, there's something about the most interesting thing to me about Schroeder this year has been how he has operated defensively in the three guard lineup, where he would obviously be like theoretically the weakness of that lineup. It would be Dennis Schroeder having to guard wings or whatever. And he's yeah. just like a relentless like press guy now, which yeah. he tr- which was something we saw out of him last season. It definitely just didn't work. Um, yeah it did not work yeah I think the fact that everybody else around him is solid defensively yeah whereas last year you had to deal with Russell Westbrook also being kind of a maniac defensively Mm -hmm. and that just kind of tanked everything for the Thunder Um, definitely having to play with Russ having to play extended minutes against last year's Abdul Nader yeah oh right he was put in a lot of situations where his tendencies would expose a team rather than like create opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, you know, a season, if, if they traded Chris Paul and kept Schroeder, I think he's probably going to have a worse season. Um, yes. Because I think, you know, largely he's playing, he's going up against the third best defender from other teams. Yeah. The, the first guy's going on either Shea or Chris Paul and second guy's going on the other. So like, Right. He's getting third best defenders, and he's extremely quick. Like that's a huge advantage for him that he's taking. He's been great with. 
Um, so yeah, I would, you know, I don't know what the value for Schroeder. I think the value was pretty good at the trade deadline this year. I think the Lakers would have traded for him in a second if they had any kind of salary to really do it with. Um, yeah, I agree. But you know, maybe they can figure something out this off season and trade him to the Lakers. I don't know. Um, but I, I would try to find a, a spot for him and I would trade Steve too, to be completely honest. And I am, I'm interested with regards to Steve. A lot of it comes down to like what sense they get from him moving on from this contract, which yeah. I think everyone can agree. He was overpaid. Um, yeah, so of if he can be negotiated to a more team friendly deal, he's still very young um, for a center, especially. Yeah. Um, and Wait, here, I, here's what I'll say. Here's here's what I'll say. Is that Stephen Adams is good, and I still think that you know if you have a team with Shea and Stephen Adams, I think they might win more games than I want them to. I guess that's fair. Yeah. Because I'm talking, I want next year's team to be one of the worst teams in the NBA. Like to be completely honest, I want them to be one of the worst teams in the NBA because that I want a top four pick next year without a doubt. Yeah. Um, and I think that Steve, Steve's a good basketball player. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that, you know, Steve's going to make us this, you know, potential contender, but if Steve is the reason we get the seventh pick instead of the second pick. Yeah, that's I'm, a problem. I'm going to be relatively unhappy yeah. about that. And I just think about, you know, if you have a team with starting Mike Mascala at center, it's going to be a team that's a lot yeah, worse. That's, than a, that's Steve not a good Adams. basketball team. Yeah. Right. Um, so what do yeah. you think ends up happening with Nerlens? Uh, I think it's safe to say he's pretty thoroughly rehabilitated his image yeah. um, in the league during his time at Oklahoma City. But that was also true last year. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's definitely been a better season for him this year. And he's a guy that maybe if you can trade Chris Paul for not that much salary um, and you can trade Schroeder and if you can get some cap space, I would be pretty comfortable in signing Nerlens for $8 million a year or something for like three or four years even if he wants to do that yeah. because – which, by then all I, accounts, he really likes the Thunder organization. Apparently. And then I think he's a trade chip at that point. You know? Like, yeah. if you've got Nerlens Noel on a $8 million contract, like, you can probably... There's going to be a team come up, like, oh, shit, we... You know, Yusuf Nurkic's leg broke in half. You know, we need a center. And then maybe that's that's where you can turn. So, yeah. Um, I'd be pretty comfortable with having Nerlens on a on a reasonable contract because I don't think he's a big floor raiser. Like he's a he's a fine player, but like you know, unlike Steve, who's just like a really good solid basketball player for the most part, Nerlens is a little bit more sporadic. So I think yeah. Nerlens is really a lot of his success is due to having good players around him that can make him effective. Yeah, um, and if it's just Shea. I don't think he's going to do a whole lot for you. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm thinking there. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that's all totally fair. Um, yeah. So where does that leave us? I mean, like you said, the Thunder have 
pretty much endless options. You know, we, we have the option that I think we're both the most comfortable with, most hopeful for. Um, and it involves being really, really bad for the next two years after this one season that, like, was fun. I loved watching Chris Paul play. It was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think it's I, – I don't want to delay the process. And, you know, because you could say, well, we can delay it until, you know, when all these Clippers and Rockets picks start coming through. And I'm just like, why? You know? Yeah. Like, I just I, – There's no reason to not – set this team up to be like a Shea-led, great, young, exciting team coming out of the next three years. Like, get Shea onto his second contract with a plan to be contending. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, because, I mean, if the next two years, that's when Shea's rookie contract ends, and theoretically you have two high lottery picks going with him into his second contract, developing with him, Mm -hmm. and... You might have something, you know. I mean, it's no guarantee. You might wind up with two shitty high lottery picks. I don't know. Right. But, <laughs> you know, right. the hope is that you wind up with Kay Cunningham and Imani Bates. Like, that would be, there's your dream scenario, right? And then right. everything work is great. It's perfect. But um, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. And there's also, like, Sam Presti is pretty freaking good at drafting in the lottery, in case anybody hasn't noticed. Yeah, he's had some success there before. Um, <laughs> so, well, maybe uh, maybe it'll happen again. Yeah. And if it does, that would be just hilarious. He drafts yeah. three MVPs in a row again. <laughs> I don't think he would trade one. I think he no, would probably, probably keep not. as long as he can. <laughs> I think that's, that's the thing that's gotten me about it, is like, the idea that the Thunder wouldn't learn from the James right. Harden trade. Right. You know, like that, when people give the Thunder shit about it and like, oh, well, because I, I remember one of the big things with when they started paying a bunch of luxury tax for. Yeah, everyone is like, this is the team that traded James Harden to avoid the tax. And it's like. Yeah. It's like, yeah, well, they don't want to do that again. Do you blame them? Yeah. You know, like. Should they just let Paul George walk for nothing? Is that is that what they should do so they can avoid some luxury tax money? Hell no. But that's another pot I went back and listened to was the uh, the Paul George re-signing the mm-hmm. down to dunk that night. That was oh, a good yeah. night. We both we were both very excited about him and yeah. Jeremy Grant. Yeah, <laughs> getting re-signed. Oh um, man, I miss honestly, Jeremy. I look back at these last, the two teams with Paul George and and Russell Westbrook, and it just, it doesn't make sense that they weren't better. Well, there's, yeah, there's, I can name exactly one reason that they weren't better. I know. Well, that's not entirely fair. Andre Robertson getting hurt was a huge blow to the 2017 team. That team was awesome. It was. But, like, dude, like, Whenever they traded for Paul George, he was the perfect guy to pair with Russell Westbrook. Russell yeah. Westbrook was the reigning MVP, and then he just got significantly worse somehow. Yeah. And it just tanked the Thunder's chances, and I just – it doesn't make sense. I don't understand. Like, I was so I, I was so sure when we got Paul George back and re-signed Jeremy Grant – 
that we were going to be a force to be reckoned with the next year. Right. I um. I think there's a real possibility that in like ten years' time, we look back at Russell Westbrook's career and recognize that those last two years in Oklahoma City were like transitional years in terms of his playing style. Yeah. Um, because you see, we saw him go to the post so frequently his last year here, and it, it never worked. It was horrible. But like, you watch him in the Rockets now, and it's not like incredible. But like, he's developed moves that he's put in that repertoire that make that much more effective than him just backing guys down and trying to take you know turnarounds over them. Yeah. And and maybe there, I mean, there's something to be said. Maybe the Thunder could have done a better job of spacing the floor. And, and that's one of the big things with the Thunder in general. If you go back to the beginning, like, they, the Thunder should have been the team that revolutionized basketball. They absolutely could they have should been. should not and have been the Warriors. Yeah. They had KD, who could have been the, the playmaking four that everybody was like, oh, my God, what do we do with this guy? Right. But they decided he was a three. They had Serge Ibaka, who could have been the first stretch five that yeah. could also block shots and defend at a high level. This is pretty rude to Minute Ball, but... Okay, yeah. All right, all right. He so. made six threes in a game. Okay, good Good for Minute. Um, but, like, if you have that kind of... Those two guys, like KD at the four, uh, Ibaka at the five, and then you've got, like, Prime Westbrook with that kind of space to just get to the rim whenever he wants. Yeah. Like... Teams would not have known what the fuck to do with that. You know, yeah. Russ and Harden. You have Russ and Harden getting yeah. to the rim whenever they want. Like, you could have essentially made Russ the center on offense or the Giannis right. figure. Like, right. this five-out scheme. Yeah. Like, yeah. the Thunder were in a position to run out Russ, Harden, Tavo, KD, Surge. Yeah. Which is, like... <laughs> in every aspect besides not having Steph Curry on it, a better version of the 16 Warriors. Yeah. I mean, it would have been that there would have been epic matchups with the Warriors. Yeah. You know, and I think they would have won, honestly, because I Mm -hmm. think KD would have been the best player on the court. Obviously, I mean, you've got Harden too, like shit. Yeah. Don't forget. I mean, Reggie Jackson was a thing like, right. He would have been fine. Like they, uh, we've talked about this before, but Sam, his insistence on the center position, I think, really kind of, and it's hard to not, you know, to bash a dude for not seeing the next innovation in basketball. Well, it's really well. Here's the frustrating thing about this: is that the year before they decided to trade Harden, they got beat by the Heat playing right. Bosch at the five. Right. If they yeah. had learned from that. And come back in 2013 and said, okay, we're going to space the floor. Like, yeah. it would have been over. Yeah. No, I And agree. they also, by the way, wouldn't have felt a pressing need to keep Kendrick Perkins. So. No. It would not have. Yeah, they could have amnestied Kendrick Perkins or. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know. Like, it's. That's the big. That's the real big disappointment that I have whenever I look back at the, the Thunder era is. You know, not it's not the Harden trade. It's that they didn't see that they had like, I mean, KD's last year they still weren't really playing him at the four all that much, you know, and that's where he should have been playing for the majority of his time. And that is, it's a little disappointing. 
that they didn't. They should have innovated basketball. They should have yeah. changed the game. Yeah, they absolutely could have. They tried. They tried to be the best at the basketball that was being played at that time. You and know, they, they very could've... nearly were. And they were, but they should have. They should have seen, yeah. like, okay, oh, the th- the Lakers. They have Andrew Bynum and Pau Gasol. Well, we're gonna make those guys defend on the perimeter, and they're screwed. You know, yeah. like, yeah, that's really what their attitude should have been. But it just wasn't. It just wasn't. So. Yeah. Andrew Bynum, another player who, um, it's a shame that uh, the uh, modern NBA didn't come around sooner for him. He probably would have gotten, wouldn't have gotten benched for jacking up threes. <laughs> right. Yeah. He also like was so slow though. Right. <laughs> he would have just put him in pick up. He would have been like Ennis yeah. Cantor. Yeah, I can't imagine a situation in which Andrew, in which like. Andrew Bynum has to play in a stretch five era and his interest in basketball does not wane even sooner. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I watched, uh, I watched the Lakers thunder game from, I think 2012 Mm. when they had all three, they had the Harden and everybody. And I mean, I was still a huge Lakers fan at that point. And I remember watching that game and it broke my heart, but (laughs) That Thunder team was, they played like shit in this game that I watched, and they still won. Like, mm-hmm. Kevin Durant was unreal, man. He was so yeah. freaking good. Was so freaking good. But, anyways, so as to not be too sad as we end this, um, do you want to go ahead and call it here? Yeah, I think that we've pretty much covered everything there is to cover. The NBA news, um, the greater world news everyone stay safe everyone uh you know just a quick reminder that the we are still actually in the middle of a pandemic um i know that especially in oklahoma it feels like uh that just sort of disappeared that's not the case um maintain social distance wear masks be respectful of others wash your hands do everything that you have been instructed to do for the past three months because we are not out of this yet, as, again, Mike Gundy and um, who was it who initially tested positive for Oklahoma State? Amen. Uh, I've been a Meg. Ah, oh, shit. You just had to, had to ask. All right. Um, Good defensive player for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, now Ag- that we've... Ag- Ag- um, yeah, I'm in a Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he tested positive, and so did apparently at least two other Oklahoma State players. Yeah. Um, which is a rough time for them. And at least five Alabama players too. Right. Today. Like this is a real situation that teams that teams are having to face now, and a lot of it I think is related to the fat way in which our society is sort of forgotten that this is a thing that is happening. Um. Uh, we are, we saw a real spike in cases today that are almost certainly an aftershock from everyone abandoning social distancing, me- distancing measures on Memorial with Day weekend. Um, just yeah. be aware that this is a thing that's still happening. Uh, but with that said, um, uh, I hope you subscribe to the podcast. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at RWMaxi and at Purd underscore Happily. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, leave a review. Um, Share it with a friend. 
or donate $15 to a bail fund. Um, and with all that said, uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys sometime next week.